Welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. When today's guest, Wendy Zomner, co-founded Urban Decay in 1996, there was no Instagram or TikTok, and Sephora wouldn't be entering the U.S. for another two years. Fast forward to today, and she's jumped back into the beauty startup game with her new brand, Cali Ray. Since she launched Cali Ray in 2021, it entered Sephora in 2022 and just secured a Series A round of funding in February this year. In this episode, I talked with Wendy about what's different about launching a beauty startup in 2022. Obviously, it's a lot. And with Earth Day this Saturday, we talked in detail about the brand's sustainable packaging innovations, including its new compostable wooden eyeshadow palette. Here's the interview. Wendy, you are certainly no stranger to launching an indie beauty brand. Before we start talking about your new brand, Cali Ray, let's go back to the beginning. You co-founded Urban Decay in 1996. How did you get started in beauty? So I'm, I always tell people I'm from Texas, so it's kind of in my blood a little bit. Like I grew up loving makeup. I got sent home from school when I was 13 for wearing too much makeup, which in Texas is hard to do. But I I did do that. Um, So I've always had this love affair with makeup. Like my mom bought me like one of those blockbuster kits when I was like 13. And I would like tear pages out of magazines and try to recreate the looks. So I've just always loved beauty. And I've loved like painting my face. I love this whole idea of self-expression. I had just moved to California. I was working in marketing And through the ex-fiance of a friend, I met Sandy Lerner, who's the founder of Cisco Systems. And she had this wild idea to start a beauty brand. And and I always think it's such an amazing, like, fatalistic moment because I would have always loved to start a beauty brand. And I would have never thought it was possible, but I had to run into the person that broke tech, a woman, right, in the 90s or 80s and 90s who broke tech to give me the belief that, like, let's go break beauty. Like, that's, it should be easy and fun. And paint a picture of what the beauty startup scene was like in the 90s. What did it take to make a brand successful? Yeah, it was really different than it is today. Today you have, you know, your sort of, endless array of skincare, beauty brands. Um, But back then it was all the big companies. So it was all of the brands from the Lauders and the L'Oreal's and the Cody's and a few Unilever brands. I remember, you know, my first job in makeup was behind an Elizabeth art encounter at a Monning's department store in Fort Worth, Texas. And there wasn't that much different out there. Like everything kind of looked the same. It felt the same. Um, And in the 90s, I would say, you know, Benefit was out there doing their indie thing. Um, Hard Candy was kind of launching about the same time we were. So I think there was this sort of like momentum to change things because back then, you got to remember, beauty, the marketing on beauty was aspirational. It wasn't like it is today where it's like, be self-expressive, be yourself, right? That's table stakes. And that I feel like was really what we at Urban like championed. It was our mission was to be beauty should be about showing the world who you are, not about subscribing to some beauty ideal that one, you're never going to like attain or according to, you know, the, the, uh, the guys who decide what beauty is. 
And um, so we just felt like we wanted to take a more democratic approach and a more like self-expression approach rather than this like, if you buy our product, maybe you'll look a tiny bit closer to the beauty standard. We just, we wanted to do something completely different than that. And Sephora was a big part of the success of the brand as a startup as well, right? Yeah, Sephora was a huge part of it. They came to the U.S., launched in the U.S. about two years after Urban Decay started. We were in Nordstrom's, you know, if you select Nordstrom's, we were, you know, in some little boutiques. But it was really the Sephora coming to the U.S. that gave us an opportunity because none of those big brands I was talking about before wanted to be in Sephora. And so they were looking for indie brands and and unique little brands to be the flagships in their store. So I remember, you know, they came to me and I think I had like 32 SKUs and they were like, okay, here's your three bay gondola. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do with all this space? And now, you know, of course, to get a three bay gondola at, at Sephora would be, you know, you'd have to be doing an insane amount of business and way more than 31 SKUs. And then with Urban Decay, you made the transition to L'Oreal Group in 2012. What was that like going from indie to conglomerate owned? It wasn't that hard other than the the first thing they changed was the the system, right? We went to SAP, which is like a big accounting system. And that, you know, system changes are never good, never fun. That was the hardest part. But I felt like L'Oreal for the company itself and how we operated really left us alone for a really long time. Um, We continued to operate. It was the same management team. My core team was the same. And I think they really looked at the brand and said, this brand's really successful. Let's see, let's learn the good part of what's working there and let's learn how we can help improve it. And it was really quite a while before they started changing things a lot. How long did you stay after the acquisition? Well, I officially finished last December, but I mean, I'd been kind of fading out before that, just not as involved. Um, They had brought in their own management team to run the business. So I was doing more of a founder role, um, which was, you know, then COVID happened, right? And then it sort of was seemed like an ideal time to kind of taper off. So that's, and then they moved the office to LA. And so it just seemed like the right time to sort of fade out. But, you know, I stay in touch with everyone and I love Carol Hamilton. And, you know, if, the, you know, whenever they need me, I'm there for them. So it's still my family. But, you know, my baby's flown away and become grown up on her own. So let's get into the Cali Ray story. What inspired you to get back into the beauty startup scene? So I was inspired to get back into the beauty startup scene. I was, uh, I've been, I, pl- I like to play beach volleyball. I'm not super good at it, but I met this really cool young woman named Jenna on the beach. And we love talking about beauty. We love talking about being transplants to California and how like it's December and we're out here in our bikinis playing volleyball. We can't believe it. Like we're so inspired by the freedom of the place we had discovered And uh, we're really into sustainability. I live right by the ocean. So I see how important, you know, clean ocean is. And, um, you know, I had always done clean beauty at Urban. Not, Not clean like it's defined now, but we were one of the first brands to take parabens out of our products. Um, we were, 
you know, we had a biodynamic garden for the employees. We had yoga. We had all non-off gassing materials in the office. Like wellness and clean has always been really important to me. Like I had both my kids in my house and like, I'm sort of like a weird little hippie anyway. So, um, so I really felt like there was something missing in terms of the sustainability and then in the space that really reflected who I was and sort of at the tail end of my time at urban, I was doing a lot of traveling around the world. Um, I was being asked all the time, like, um, can you go to Spain? Can you go to Germany? Can you go to Russia? So I'd go to all these countries to open the doors and I'd meet with journalists. I'd meet with customers. I'd meet with store employees. And the first thing they would all ask me is like, what's it like in California? Do you surf? Do you like drink kale smoothies? Do you do yoga? And I get asked this question all the time. And I realized there was a fascination with, of some of the things that California stood for. And so I felt like there was an opportunity um, to really create a brand that centered around that, centered around the wellness culture, centered around the sustainability and about the free thinking and free feeling and just, you know, it's 72 and sunny vibe all the time. And so as Urban Decay was tapering off, I really felt like there was an opportunity to jump back into beauty. And, you know, my mission at Urban was let's democratize beauty. Let's not make it about this this aspirational beauty. Let's make it about showing the world who you are, right? And now that's table stakes. And so I felt like with Callie Ray, the new mission is no longer to democratize because that's done. But I felt like the new mission was sustainability and beauty because it really is important. And we are really creating a lot of single-use plastics. And how can we talk about recycling? How can we talk about using recycled materials in our packaging? And I felt like it was a great space to start doing something. And how long was the brand in the works? Because you launched it in 2021. How long did it take to get the new startup off the ground? I always say, you know, officially we launched at the tail end of 21, but it was really like, I think about 2022 is really the starting point because that's when we launched in doors at Sephora. We just had a couple months on our website. Um, And so I would say, you know, we sort of prepped it all of 2021 and probably during the pandemic was when I really sat down and kind of flushed out like what this brand would look like, maybe what the products would look like and kind of what kind of started making it a more formalized process versus just thinking about it in my head. And tell me about the product selection. What products did you decide to launch with? How did you choose them? Yeah, so I am obsessed with mascara and I wanted to create a mascara. So the mascara was the first thing I was going to make, no matter what. And I knew I wanted to call it Come Hell or High Water. It's like, I'm obsessed with that phrase. And I feel like it was it was important to come up with something that would have some zero smudge and water resistance. Like when I talked to customers, they would always be like, oh, but my mascara smudges. Like that seemed to be uh, alongside, I want some volume, the number one complaint I would hear from people. And so I wanted to create something that was zero smudge and started working on a waterproof formula because I was like, wouldn't it be cool? You know, it's Cali Ray, like you can jump in the ocean with this, but it's really hard to create a clean waterproof formula. And it's also really hard to create a waterproof formula that doesn't, isn't hard on your lashes. So I want, I decided like, let's take a step back. What else could we use? And of course, tubing technology has been around for a while, but I feel like I started working on some formulas and we were able to get it even better than it had been in the past. So like ours rolls off in little balls instead of looking like you're actually losing your lashes. Um, and, and I felt like the staying power was great and the volumizing was great. So instead of feeling like it was just more of a lengthening kind of product, we were actually starting to create some volume. 
So we worked on this for a while and got what I thought was a really good brush to be able to create, like it's dense, but small. So it works on a lot of different eye shapes. So that was really uh, where we started was like, let's create this great mascara because it fulfills the brand mission and it's something everyone wears and it's, you know, a repeat purchase kind of item. Um, And then I also wanted to create a skin tint because I feel like that's like the wellness piece, right? That goes all over your face. So could we create something that's really, really clean? And I, you know, I have to be honest, I was, I wore a lot of makeup for a long time, like a lot of heavy makeup. And I loved it, but I was kind of tired of having so much makeup on my face. I would feel tired at the end of the day. Like, I I can't wait to get this off. So I wanted to create something like we came up with this line, like unhooking your bra, but for your face, you know, that feeling at the end of the day when you take your bra off and you're like, oh, so I wanted it to be that relaxed and easy to wear where it just didn't feel like you were wearing anything. And at the end of the day, you weren't like dying to get your makeup off. You were just like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just going to wash my face because you should always wash your face. Do you have a concept of who the Cali Ray girl is or the Cali Ray guy? Do, do you envision that in your head? And who are you targeting with the brand? Yeah, so I think the target is I anyone because, and I know that sounds so general, but it really is inspired by all this travel I did around the world. And I really do think it would appeal to someone that lived in Norway or lived in Texas or lived in San Diego. Like, I don't think it matters. And we really wanted it to have an appeal to people that lived in even urban environments because California really is like a very urban environment. People think about outdoorsy, but there's lots of big cities here and there's lots of pollution and you should be like taking care of your skin while you wear your makeup. So that was really part of it was to have this clean option that could also hang with you. And so we really wanted to create this whole idea of performance clean. So it's for anyone who really wants like a wellness point of view on makeup that performs. So, you know, instead of, you know, compromising the performance, we really have strived to make every single product a performance product alongside the wellness piece. How much of a challenge is that with efficacy these days? We've seen clean come a long way in terms of efficacy. Tell me about the product formulation process. Yeah, so it is a challenge, but it is, um, it's not that hard anymore. You know, it's not like it used to be. You can definitely get more efficacious, um, but we're always trying to make things cleaner and cleaner too. So there's that fine line and that balance. So the product formulation process is always um, like, how far can you push it? And how far do you want to push it before you back off a little bit? Um, I mean, an example is like our So Blonde Primer. Love the formula. It was, it's, it's clean and it didn't smell that good. And I just thought, you know, here I'm going to make a tiny shift and I'm going to put a tiny bit of like less than 1% of a really natural orange oil fragrance in there to make it a really beautiful, pleasant, like, sensorial experience when you put it on instead of smelling like sometimes clean products can smell. I'm so glad you brought up scent because I wanted to talk about the setting spray specifically because I think about the Urban Decay Cult setting spray. Obviously, when you spray that on your face, you know your makeup's not going anywhere for the night, but you are preparing for a certain smell, right? And with the Cali Ray one, I was trying it out today, actually, and it smells like coconut. So yeah, tell me about the process for that. Well, 
I think the first thing on the setting spray was I wanted this ultra fine mist. Like that is really what I love with the setting spray is like we got the mist super, super fine. So you never feel like you're getting like doused. You never feel like you're messing up your makeup. It's alcohol free, which I love. So it is really clean. Um, but as we were spraying that mist on, I was like, you know, it just, it should feel like you're on vacation. Like when you mist that on, it just feels so relaxing because it doesn't hit you. It just sort of delicately lays down on your face. And so I wanted the scent to be reflective of like almost a beachy moment. So I love that you picked up on the coconut. I wanted someone to spray it and go, oh, it feels like I'm on vacation. And you obviously know a thing or two about creating cult hero products. Are you taking a hero product approach to marketing with Cali Ray or how do you think about that? Well, I approach Cali Ray with things I'm passionate about. So we just launched our eye palette. I'm really passionate about eyeshadow, but I'm also passionate about really curated eyeshadow. So that was, you know, one of the reasons. And I also felt like it was pretty cool that we could create a totally sustainable, compostable palette. Um, so I'm trying to like kind of approach it with things I'm very passionate about. Um, and single, like I love items that a lot of different people can use so that you get this com sense of community around them. So like, for example, setting spray, right? It doesn't matter your tone, your texture, your skin type, you can use setting spray. The same thing with mascara. So the same thing with lip glosses. So I try to create products that everyone can sort of jump in on and have an experience with, especially right now at the early days of the brand. Yeah. And speaking of the new palette, this podcast is running during Earth Month. So I wanted to talk all about your packaging. The new palette is made out of wood. Can you tell us about your approach to developing packaging and how much of an investment that is? Yeah, so packaging, I look at each product on a product-by-product product basis. There's the the regular suspects in sustainability, like post-consumer recycled plastic, which we try to use really high levels of. There's bioplastics. There's um, glass, which you have to use unfrosted. Um, we really kind of look at everything, and it forces you to be really creative because you can't vacuum metalize things. You can't make them shiny and bright. Um, if you're doing really sustainable packaging. So, you know, we try to like take an approach of like, how can we make this product as fun and engaging as possible while keeping and maintaining our sustainability credibility? So that's really what we try to do every time we approach something is like, what's the most sustainable package we could put this in? Is it going to work in that package? Right. And, you know, and then how can we like look to improve that package? So with the palette, we sort of looked at post-consumer recycled plastic. Then we looked at mixing it with this uh, sand process that would then like extend the plastic so you'd use less plastic and could make it more recyclable again. And then we looked at alternative materials to make it out of. And finally, we ended up settling on the bamboo for lots of different reasons. But what's cool about the bamboo palette is you just, you can pop your pans out, you can break that thing up with a hammer and then I threw mine in a loamy and made dirt out of it and then planted a plant in it. So it really is totally sustainable. We didn't include a mirror in this one because mirrors are really like, they're not sustainable. They're not recyclable. Um, but we are offering a stainless steel mirror that you can like pop in with a magnet and, um, and use. And it's a reusable one. 
How much have sustainable packaging options developed over the years since you got started in beauty? Is it hard to develop these types of packaging still or is it getting easier? I feel like it's come such a long way. I remember the first time I heard about the commercially compostable corn plastic. It was probably like 15 or 16 or maybe even more years ago. And I remember saying, I want to mold all of our eyeshadow components out of this commercially compostable corn plastic. And then, you know, we can spray them. No one will know they're made out of this ugly, weird colored plastic. And, you know, they'll be more sustainable. But the the thing you then learn, right, is you dive into sustainability is the obvious choice isn't always the most sustainable one. So I learned like, oh, well, the corn plastic material is made in the United States. You'd have to put it on a boat and ship it to China for injection molding because all the injection molding machines are there. And then you'd have to ship it back. So by that time, your carbon footprint's pretty high with all the shipping of the materials. And then the material itself isn't compostable or recyclable unless you take it to a commercially compostable facility. So that's where we started with sustainability. It wasn't really very practical. It didn't really it wasn't really like sustainable once you got to taking into account all of the things you'd have to do to get it there. And then um, I just feel like it's come such a long way now. Like we have all of these different materials. We have companies that I meet with on the regular who are making things out of algae and out of the fat cells from bacteria and like all of these things that could be composted again. And we're trying to get all of those new materials to a place that we can create packaging out of them. So part of what I spend my time doing is looking for alternative packaging sources that may not be like ready for prime time yet, but will be and could tap into in the future. So I'm trying to create a library of those kinds of things that um, we're able to use as we move forward as a brand. And Kelly Ray also has the clean and planet positive designation at Sephora where you're sold. Did you want to talk about how far the Sephora customer has come and Sephora in general in terms of interest in sustainability? Yeah, I think Sephora is amazing because they really are leaders in sustainability and they now have a chief purpose officer and her mission is to really bring the sustainability piece to Sephora. They're putting uh, bins for Packed Collective, which is the company that recycles small beauty packaging. Um, they're putting those bins in stores so customers can drop off their beauty empties and we can really start the recycling process in beauty. And so having Sephora as a leader in sustainability is crucial to making it happen because that's where so many people shop for their beauty. So many people are influenced by their experience there. And I think it's kind of amazing that they've started out with this planet positive designation that we could be a part of. And then what is the process for getting the word out to consumers about sustainability? Are you targeting ones that are searching for this already or are you trying to educate consumers? So I think it's a little bit of both. We definitely target people and we work with sustainability influencers. At the same time, we work with a lot of beauty influencers and provide them with the information along with, you know, putting the info on our website and talking to customers and I think our point of view on sustainability is that we really approach it as a joyful experience. So we don't want it to be all gloom and doom and like, you better be sustainable or the planet's going to end. We try to make it more like, hey, we all know sustainability is important. Here's an easy, fun way to participate. So I feel like if we can get the customer to like 
understand like, hey, your mascara tube's made out of upcycled ocean plastic. Like they'll think, wow, that's cool. Okay, I'm doing something. What else can I do? And I think it just starts a conversation um, because our goal isn't to be the only sustainable beauty brand out there. It's to be, to help sort of start the conversation with both the customer and with, with other beauty companies as well. And I also wanted to get your thoughts coming from the kind of conglomerate side of the world to starting a startup. Coming up with new packaging options is obviously very costly. When you talk to conglomerates, they will have goals to cut plastic by a certain percentage in the future with multi-year plans. A lot of them aren't there yet. Why do you think it's mainly startups doing more of the innovative, sustainable packaging solutions now? What, what do you think is kind of driving that? Well, I think I think some of the big companies are doing some amazing things. Like even the L'Oreal's of this world are really committed to sustainability and they have a big opportunity with their, you know, their shampoo bottles and some of those bigger plastic containers to make a real impact by using more sustainable materials, thinner materials, lighter materials. So um, I wouldn't discount their participation in this, but I do think indie brands can start from the ground up. And I think it's really like we were able to say this is an important core value for us. And so we're going to design our packaging from the ground up. And so, you know, an example I always love to use is, you know, I got a quote on my boxes. It was going to cost 13 cents to um, to emboss the box with my emboss my logo on the box. Right. But I could take that 13 cents and I could put it into more PCR in the package and because sustainable materials do tend to be a little more expensive right now. So we're able to make those trade-offs because we're building the products from the ground up versus like, hey, you've already told the customer you're in a shiny foil box and a frosted glass bottle and a pump. And, you know, this is what this product is. And we're able to sort of like engineer the product to be more sustainable from the start. And then what's the process for creating a premium feeling product with sustainable packaging options? I've talked a lot with founders who said that there's kind of a mental conception among consumers that something has to be very heavy or shiny. How do you address that? Yeah, it, they do think that. And it's uh, I think we just have to get out there and talk about sustainability more. I think it's that education process I was talking about before. Um, is that, you know, it's not always going to be heavy. We're not always going to put a secret weight in there because we want you to recycle the package or we want you to reuse it. Or we're not going to frost that glass, even though the bottle would look so pretty frosted because, you know, frosting the glass, if you that glass gets into the recycling stream, it can ruin the entire batch of recycled glass. So you definitely, you know, we want to avoid that and always use clear glass or, or uh, mechanically etched glass. But that's a little tougher process to find in mass. So we really do think it's important to start, you know, start talking about all those materials and having people understand that it, you may not get the heavy thing. You may have to forego a mirror in your compact or use a reusable one in there because it's not a sustainable process. And let's talk about distribution. You're in Sephora, What's different about Sephora these days compared to the early days of Sephora? Or is it coming more full circle and getting more into indie brands after having this period of so many conglomerate owned? What are you seeing with the Sephora scene? 
Yeah, so the Sephora scene, I mean, the big difference is what we talked about at the beginning, which was, you know, when I started with 31 SKUs, I got a three-bay gondola. And now I have, you know, probably 30 now, and I have a shelf on the cleaning cup, which I'm thrilled about to have, right? I feel so lucky. But um, but I think, you know, Sephora and indie brands are always going to go hand in hand. They're always looking for discovery. And, you know, from my standpoint, just at Urban, it always felt like an indie brand. Like we always ran it that way, but we did have to start acting more grown up. And with indie brands, you know, you can move faster. You can hear like, you know, they're like, for example, we knew that they were working on highlighter for earlier this year. And we were able to pivot really quickly and create a launch that would that would mesh right into their soft sculpt animation that they have going on at the front of store and be part of that. So that's what I love about India is that you can move pretty quickly and make decisions fast and pivot and um, and try to be in tune with the market. You know, on the other hand, you're just you're trying to build your awareness. So you're not there with those bigger, more established legacy brands, which it always is weird for me to think of Urban as that. But it really is now, huh? Like there's a lot of beauty customers that have not that aren't as old as Urban Decay has been around, which to me is weird because I just always think of it as this. Thing I was like doing in my Laguna Beach bungalow. And are you exclusive to Sephora or are you planning on going into other retailers? We are on our own website and at Sephora exclusively. And for right now, I think that is probably the extent of it. I have a small team. I love working in a team that feels like a family. And so for us, I think um, expansion right now, we want to really focus on our Sephora business and really build that up um, before trying to do bite off too much. So I really tend to not be a focused person, but I'm being really focused and I feel like Sephora is a great partner and I've known so many of the people there for a while. So I feel like um, it's a it feels like home and I feel like we really want to build that relationship. And what's your approach to staff education at Sephora? Obviously, big brands have a network where they can send people to educate the staff about the products. Do you do any of that or how do you approach that as a startup? Yeah, so we do a mix of working with a third party. Um, unfortunately, I know so many people in this business that, you know, I'm able to tap into people I know that run those third parties and um, and feel like, you know, and a lot of the people on those teams are people that at one point worked for me. So it feels very natural to roll into that. And then um, I've also been able to tap into a few people independently in different markets to be able to visit stores and educate the staff there. And what's your approach to fundraising? Are you fundraising for outside investment with scaling or how do you approach that? Well, we just closed our Series A, which we're really excited about. The main investor, uh, the lead investor in that was True Beauty Ventures. And, you know, I met Rich before Urban Decay was acquired by L'Oreal many years ago and have always admired him and we've always had a great relationship. So it was it was great to work with him and his partner, Christina, and have them be a part of this brand. And then we're also, you know, we've got some other investors as well that that wanted to jump in. So um, I feel like we're in a good place right now. We just closed that. So um, right now, I don't have an approach to fundraising. I'm just running the business. 
What's the buzz in the beauty industry that you're hearing these days in the VC space about the Silicon Valley bank news and the approaches to fundraising in the future with VCs in general for beauty? You know, I have not really chatted with anyone about that. I've listened to an awful lot of podcasts about it, but um, yeah, it just sounds like they made some mistakes, management mistakes. So um, very unfortunate. I don't know that it affects beauty that much other than people are a little wary and cautious right now, um, which is understandable. So to wrap up, I wanted to get your thoughts on the future of the brand. What are you thinking for product launches? Do you have anything in the pipeline that you can share? Oh, we have some like the things I love to share with you are some of the things I think make Cali Ray unique. Like we have, you know, a hydrating vag serum in the works. I mean, we have your normal regular beauty launches too. But what I love tapping into are things like we launched the the Get Lit Beauty Drink in January. And so that's a wellness perspective on the brand that I really love. And if you haven't tried it, it's an amazing product that we did in partnership with Thorn which is an amazing supplement company. So, you know, I didn't just go find some random person to make me a supplement. I like partnered with like this amazing company that's, you know, just grounded in science and really enjoyed working with them to create a a product that's so unique in terms of its delivery system and gives you real benefits with your skin. Um, And then we're doing the same thing with like the hydrating vag oil and we have some other supplements coming as well. So, those are the fun things that I think make Cali Ray really unique in terms of uh, bridging the gap between makeup and wellness. That's so interesting. How do you envision the brand in the future in terms of categories? Do you see it being more multi-category? What do you think? Yeah, my first uh, vision for the brand was that it was going to be very lifestyle and very cross-category. Like, you know, it's not in the works right now, but you know, to me, it would make total sense to tap into someone with great hair care expertise and partner with them to create an awesome wave spray. You know, like things like that, that I think you could do because it does have more of a lifestyle vibe and not just a makeup vibe. But right now I'm a makeup expert and I do have, I do dabble in wellness. So those are the categories I'm sticking to right now, but um, can't wait to jump into some others. And then you talked a little earlier about the global interest in California culture and this kind of branding. And obviously you have such experience expanding globally. What do you think in terms of international expansion? Do you have any plans for that? Yeah, I think we definitely have plans for that. I don't have a plan right now, other than I think it's a little too early. Uh, I definitely got some phone calls right off the bat, and I was really excited. And then I started thinking about like that whole idea. Remember, like I don't like to focus, but I have to focus. So I'm trying to focus and uh, really build the business here in the U.S. and uh, make it really successful. And then definitely looking at some other markets. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing what the brand has in store in the future. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.